1: All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the State of America podcast. I am one of your hosts, Ian Rice, and with me, as always, is Mr. David Hudson. David, how are you today, sir?
2: I am well, Ian. How about yourself?
1: Not too bad. Just uh, hanging out in a uh, typical New York winter. It's, it's, it's brutal. All right, everybody. So we're going to do now uh, something that we've become well-versed at doing uh, which is a in-depth album review on something in the black crows universe. And today, of course, we're going to be looking at Mark Ford's it's about time released self-released in 2002. And, uh, in in a lot of opinions, uh, many people's many fans favorite of his uh, solo work, not necessarily mine. I don't know about you, David, where does this rank for you amongst Mark's albums?
2: It's my favorite one of his, but I'm going to be honest and, and, and just be straight up with people. Um, I'm not as familiar with all of his solo work as a lot of people are. Um, this one in Weary and Wired, I had and listened to uh, a lot when they came out. Um, the stuff that's come after that uh, has just been kind of hit or miss for me, and my listening to it's been fairly sporadic. So this is for sure the one that I'm the most uh, most familiar with, but I, I, re- I do like it a lot. Uh, I think it's his uh, I think it's his best work, and we can get into that a little bit later. In researching
1: for this and going back over it, you know... Um I didn't realize how many great guests are on this record. It's really filled with a lot of really cool uh, people. But it was recorded over you know a, a length of time. It you know was out in two thousand two, but I think he started recording tracks for this as early as ninety eight, which would make sense because Chris Stills, uh, Stephen Stills' son, uh, appears on the album a couple of times, and 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 Mark did some work with him in the ninety eight timeframe, and also, uh, you know, there's there's Alan Alan Woody appears on this, and that, that would have had to have been pre, you know, two thousand. Yeah, so so I but, think it was something he did like in between times while he was doing other gigs, you know.
2: And a lot of these people, it's not just a one off; it's numerous songs that they're on. Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, uh, just just a great lineup on this. I mean, I was always I'm familiar with all of Mark Solo stuff. I've been a, a big fan of his solo stuff from like Jump Street and. But I, you know, admittedly, this is the album I, I would go back to the least. I was always a big Fuzz Machine fan because I was, you know, personally invested in that for a little while, and I just really liked that record. Uh, really liked the Vulture. Uh, Weary and Wired uh, came out around the first time I interviewed Mark for hitting the note, so I kind of had an attachment to that. So really, this this record wasn't one that I I was, you know, I was doing anything with Mark at any time that it came out, so it kind of always got pushed to the back burner for me, and going back over it, I really forgot how much great material is on here.
2: Well, it was for sure highly anticipated, and I mean, for me, I guess the thing was, you didn't really know what you were going to get, because to my knowledge, Mark didn't have any writing credits with the Crows, and so you just didn't really know what you were going to get. I think a lot of people kind of had in their heads what it was going to sound like, and I think it didn't turn out to me it didn't sound the way i thought it was gonna sound to be honest with you Uh, i was anticipating much more of a um i don't know kind of a gunslinger approach to it yeah and it's there's really not a lot of those moments on there
1: no it's really like a more fully realized album with like textures and it's not necessarily always focused on the fact that Mark is a, a heavy hitter in terms of the guitar, um, it really shows what what a, what a, a great songwriter he is. I think. Um, of course, the album was by Jim Mitchell, who um, did some work with like the '91-'92 era Guns N' Roses a little bit, uh, you know, the Lus- usual Illusion era, and did some stuff with Skid Row around that time. Um, but he also was the producer on what I think is a is a criminally underrated rock record, and that's the the debut self-titled debut from Brother Kane which I always thought was a fantastic record. Um, so you know you're dealing with uh, somebody who, who knows rock and is can record guitars properly but the, this goes beyond just recording guitar based songs. This really is Oh
2: a, Ian don't tease me with Brother Kane. Brother Kane is awesome. That first album of theirs I think it's it's one of my favorite debut albums by any band ever.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a solid it's a solid uh debut and uh it's a shame that they didn't take off. I think like many other bands in that time period, got swept under with the whole you know, grunge being the popular thing. Because it was, it was straight-up rock, and it wasn't necessarily hair rock, but anything that wasn't grunge was you know, kind of swept under the carpet or just you know not promoted by the labels as it should have been.
2: I saw them open for Van Halen one time, and they were phenomenal.
1: I forgot they opened for Van Halen. And what was that, about 92, 93, right?
2: No, it would have been 95. Oh, was the It was, it the was balance, on. It was, uh, on the, it was on their second. It, no, yeah, it was on balance. It was on the. Uh, it was their second album. Was out. Um, no kidding. Yeah. What, what's the? What was the big hit? Of uh, was it "Line the Bed I Make" or? Anyway, whatever the big song was off. I'm drawing I'm a complete blank now. Was on there, but yeah, Damon John. I mean, Damon Johnson went on to play in Thin Lizzy and Black Star Riders and Alice Cooper for a long time. He's got some really good solo stuff. He's just kind of a. He's just a—he's a good old Southern boy from Alabama.
1: That he should still be doing Brother Kane. I know he does it sporadically, but like they—they they just should have been bigger. But uh, so that's—that's that's your producer for this record, you know. Just to put it into perspective, a guy—a guy that does good things, you know. All right, so let's let's jump into this. We'll start going track by track as usual. The album opens up with a, a great track, uh, "Hell or High Water." great way to open the album it's actually um i would discover a few years after listening to about time that it's it was a leftover from the federale period that it, you know with him and luther russell um you know when that uh, that died on the vine a little bit different arrangement than the than that than you find on the, any demos from federale i really like the track though of course it, it does feature our buddy jimmy ashurst one of many appearances that he makes on this record and uh uh, it's funny, actually, uh, most of the songs that Jimmy's on on this record are ultimately the ones I like the best, just coincidentally, you know, but uh, he does a great job. And Craig Ross is also on this one, you know, who, who we found out through interviewing Jimmy, uh, you know, was a friends with Mark and and Jimmy and, and all those guys. But uh, I like it. The only thing that that throws me off on this one a bit is the uh, the horn arrangements on it. Uh, sometimes they they stick out a little too much for me it's almost like they're, they're not really necessary the song would be just as great without them but uh, other than that i think it's a great track what, what what's your take on this one
2: i do i think it's a great opening song and i think this is mark ford trying to put out a song that sounded like the rolling stones with bobby keys because it definitely has like a, a to me a, this sounds like it could be a great keith Richards song um with the slide guitar and, and you have the uh the horns and I, th- I think the backup singers add a lot to it. And you talk about Jimmy Ashurst, yeah, he's on there. And then I have Barry Oakley Junior. is also on it, and which Barry Oakley Junior. would be on a lot of these songs. as well, Craig and and Jimmy. But I think it's a great way to op- open the album up. And it to me, it 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 has a lot of his influences on that one. And I mean, you couldn't pick her better. So I don't think you could pick a better song on here to, to start the album off.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're de- you know you're right about Barry Oakley Junior. But Barry Oakley Junior was one of the members of of the sinners uh it was him and chris Joyner and uh gooch were like the the main guys in the Sinners. so you know not surprising that he's on here but he's a great talent i mean i'm sure he suffers a bit in the shadow of his father's legacy but right. yeah, he's he's a really talented guy uh so track two uh, another one keeps the kind of keeps the momentum going in my opinion and that's long way down This is one of the first tracks to feature Chris Stills on it. Uh, he does uh, backing vocals, and they you know, they sound great. This is more of a uh, the core members of the Sinners and then Chris and, and, and CeCe on this, but uh, I think it's a great tune.
2: Yeah, it's another up-tempo song to start the album off. Um, I wonder if these, when I listen to this, realizing what Mark's life was like a couple years before this came out, if these lyrics are somewhat autobiographical. Um, but I, 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 do, I like the lyrics on this one. And just uh, uh there's two songs in a row to start the album off that I think are are re- actually really, really good, and got Craig Ross on guitar, which makes me wonder like how much lead did Mark play on this album because Craig Ross is on a ton of these yeah, I mean if you look at if you look at discogs and the breakdown, mm-hmm.
1: sometimes it even goes so far as to break it down as like who played which lead and things like that, so I think they traded off a of bit, but Mark being a uh you know a very giving musician, he does allow people like craig ross to to breathe on his own material you know which is kind of cool i think
2: yeah if i were mark freaking ford i would be i would be uh laying down all the leads
1: did you just clean that up for
2: for this i did
1: (laughs) but so next track on this is probably my favorite track on the record and one of my favorite mark ford solo tracks of all time and that's uh a change of mind (laughs) This track is is kind of shown up throughout his his solo career it's been a constant threat i i believe if i'm not mistaken you know even the magpie salute dragged this out uh, a few times chris Joyner on this plays a, a a clavinet just throughout the the song that is unbelievable it reminds me of you know something you'd you'd hear on the band records like that caliber you know uh and
2: um billy preston this is
1: yes very Billy Preston like and uh this is probably my favorite Mark Ford solo uh, on any of his solo tracks. I, I really just it, this, this solo is very tasteful and it, it, it just it showcases like a little bit of everything that makes Mark Ford a great guitar player. The only other one that uh, might uh, shine a little bit more than this would be the solo on My Love, which is on uh, Fuzz Machine. That's a fantastic solo, too. But I just love this track. Again, Jimmy Ashurst on this one, Craig Ross. So I don't. what, what, what do you think of this one?
2: I like it. And you know what? You know, I like song number three to be a little bit of a come down, and this is a little more mellow of a song to me. Uh, I have notes here. I love that it's got piano, organ, and clar- uh, clarinet on it. Is it clarinet or clavinet? Clavinet. Yeah, yeah, sorry having it edit that out and change it people think i'm an idiot uh, i'm leaving it in I'm leaving it in. <laughs> but to me it has almost a gospel kind of soul type theme to it which i think is really cool it's not necessarily something you think of when you think of mark ford uh it's another uh a really good song and you had told me the other day when we were discussing uh talking about doing this album about uh, how much you like this solo and so when i went back and listened to it i listened to it intently and it's a it's a very tasteful solo
1: it is it's 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 just it's it's a perfect guitar solo, and uh, you know I've I've heard a lot of guitar solos in my time, and uh, no, but I, I just I think it's great, and uh, it's one of the few times too, not on here, but in his whole catalog, that you know the uh, acoustic guitar gets some attention because really, other than the Holy Ghost album, uh, most of his solo records don't have a lot of acoustic guitar in it, which is a shame because he's a great acoustic player. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean just just a real beauty. But, uh, and uh, unbelievably, uh, you know, the momentum just keeps going on this with, with the next track, and that's When You Go. When You Go. To me, this one has uh, more of a an Americana type vibe to it, but it makes sense to me when reviewing who's on it. I mean, Gary Loris is front and center on this, so you know that's his uh, that's his vibe. So you know uh, he adds great to it. But the the real standout on this to me is uh, Mark's wife, uh, Kirsten Ford. The backing vocals they really set the tone of this track and really make it wholly successful. I think it's great, and you know Ben Harper's on this one too. So how can you go wrong with that?
2: It's like you're reading my notes. <laughs> uh, so song number four, we get our first kind of ballad-type song, um, and we also get our first appearance of Mrs. Ford, and her vocals provide, such, to me, such a bright backdrop to this song. And then I and mean, how can you not go wrong with Gary Loris on backing vocals? And like you said, Ben Harper's playing steel guitar. Barry Oakley, I mean, we got a murderer's row of musicians here. Uh, yeah. To me, this song just has a real warmth to it, and it it also showcases... It's just, to me, Mark's voice and Rich's voice have a lot in common in that mm-hmm. <clears throat> they both don't have the greatest range, but they know how to stay in their lane and accentuate the positives. And Mark's vo- voice, a lot of times, especially on these type songs, has a vulnerability to it that, to me, really puts emotion out there and you know, and it comes through in his singing. Uh, I think this is a really good song.
1: Yeah, and you're absolutely correct about that. Staying in their lane, but and the vulnerability to it, like obviously, Mark is a very big Neil Young fan, and Neil Young has that same like. Neil Young's voice always isn't the greatest. Um While he can sing high harmonies and do a lot of stuff, of course, he was in Crosby, Stills, and niche, You know, uh, obviously, you have to be a good vocalist to be in that. But a lot of times, Neil Young's voice sounds like it's it's about to break, and that it really adds a lot to the songs, and that's what Mark's voice does to a lot of his songs, and and Rich Robinson also, and sometimes with the the more Killer singers, like the real professionals and polished, you know, their voices are great and you need that, but like sometimes it's almost lacking in that in a lot of ways, you know what I mean?
2: Oh, yeah. And but it also says something about somebody to have the awareness of know what you can do and can't do.
1: Mark's always been, uh, been good about that. You know, he's he knows vocally, he knows what he's capable of and he, he stays within that framework and really makes it work for him and his songs. I agree. So I'm going to let you, uh, take the reins for the next track, because uh, I'm interested in hearing your opinion first before I throw mine out there. Uh, next track being, of course, uh, Giving.
0: songs not
1: learned,
0: Money to- Is just right. One last out and back
2: I'm not a big fan of it. To me, it's kind of the first eh, mess song on here. It has kind of a country, kind of a country tinge to it. I do have that his vocals again showcase, you know, a tenderness and a vulnerability and You've got Gary Lawrence on backing vocals, but uh, to me, I don't know. The lyrics just kind of kill this one for me. See, it's funny you
1: say that because this song is the first kind of little stumble for me. Like it just, for my taste, it just doesn't do much for me. I'm I'm not necessarily not necessarily saying it's a bad song, but uh, just you know, personally, just it just doesn't resonate with me all that much. I like it more now than I did in the past listening to this record but funnily against what you're saying is i like it more now because i found the lyrics to be a little more interesting than i did really? previously yeah just cuz it's kind of like uh you get that kind of uh life on the road kind of vibe from it and i that's always interesting to me but uh and and you know chris Joyner does some really nice piano work on this which saves it a bit for me but uh, kind of the first semi miss on the record so far which is go- which is hey that's a good batting average right there we're
2: five in and yeah i think this album's three or four songs too long and yes. this is this is one of the, this is the ones i would have left on you know left on the in the recording room yeah i mean you know it, at the
1: time it came out to like
2: 15 tracks
1: was like an average for a cd whereas people more now because things are shared digitally in a much more uh regular fashion you know you'll find albums now closer to like 10 tracks or something like that and i think ultimately because you know lps used to be about 10 12 tracks because of the time limitations right. on them I, I think that's like that's the sweet spot for albums you know
2: i agree i, I do too 10 or 11 for me is, is plenty uh you know he picks things back up for
1: me anyway uh with the next track and that's idle time <laughs> Every time This is probably a very close second to a change of mind for me in terms of my favorite track from the album. You know, C.C. White and Chris Stills again on the on the background vocals really add a lot to this one. Um, and I just think this is a cool riff. And it's not like you know, I mean, Mark has an album called Fuzz Machine. He's typically a guy that likes to drench things in distortion and fuzzy tones and things. And this is actually fairly a clean tone on this, but it's it's dirty nonetheless. Like it's and which is quite achievement as far as i'm concerned to make something sound that gritty and it's not it's really just a straight guitar tone and again to me chris joiner's piano playing on this is just very essential to the success of the song and again mr jimmy ashurst putting on a clinic on this one uh on the bass i think that's great i know what do you think of this one
2: absolutely love it has a really to me a really big 1970s feel to it a couple of people uh, have messaged me because some people knew we were doing this album that it's you know their favorite song on the album uh, a couple of notes here at the piano after the chorus to me adds a nice touch and if i would have told you this this was mark ford covering a song would it shock you if this would have been a delaney and bonnie song no not at all that's it, that's a very good uh uh point it's got a to me it's got a delaney and bonnie type feel to it also the the verse part to me sounds like an like the almond brothers which is you know high praise but we got jimmy like you said on bass this to me is one that i don't think i necessarily appreciated enough when it came out but in getting ready for this this episode like this is like a top five song on the album for me yeah it's pretty fantastic we got to
1: uh we got to send jimmy Asher some a message and just say hey man going through the uh it's about time record and uh kudos to you i did i
2: did message him you know i mean this is a guy that's played on a bunch of stuff and i was like how many songs did you play on on that album he said i'm gonna have to go look and see (laughs) so that brings
1: us around to in my opinion another standout track on the album uh for a litany of reasons and that is two Mules in a rainbow (laughs) It's it very interesting that "Mule" is in the title of this song because this is this is essentially uh, "Government Mule." With it is Mark "Government Ford. Mule." Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's "Government Mule" with Mark yeah. Ford. You know, yeah. what I mean, like that's. I mean, this could easily be on one of their records with him mm-hmm. sitting in on it. You know, Barry, Barry Oakley Jr. and Chris Stills put backing vocals on this, but otherwise it's just the three Government Mule guys, the original Government Mule. You know, Warren Haynes, Alan Woody, and Matt Apps, and it's this is this. You know, speaking of what I just mentioned before about his like dirty guitar tones, this is a dirty Mark Ford guitar tone. This is that fuzz that he's known for, and and almost very Neil Young in a way. Like this could be on a Neil Young record somewhere, like maybe like a uh, Tonight's the Night or something like that, or you know, of that era, I should say. And this to me also is much more in line with the sound that you find on the Weary and Wired album, like that almost more live in the studio kind of. You can hear things reverberating off of other things, and and. Uh, and Matt Apps is killing the drums on this one. Very basic drum track,
2: but laid down like a pro. I mean, do you are, are you able to see my notes? Are they somehow behind my head and I don't know it? David, there's a reason why we're friends, you know. <laughs> to me, I feel like this is the song that Mark Ford lovers, when they were listening to this album, thought the album was going to be more like. Um, yes. I think this is the first time that you go, oh, yeah, that's a Mark Ford song. His vocals are a little more ragged on this, and I really like that as well. Like, I think his his kind of vulnerability on the ballads is great, but the rockers, like, I like it. His voice being a little ragged, kind of like when he would sing that third verse of Happy, you know, it was just kind of, you know, kind of yeah. wild and and gravelly. It, I love this like repeating riff or groove, whatever you want to call it. Reminds me of Crazy Horse era Neil Young, and I mean, we have Mark Ford with Government Mule, and the song is called Two Mules and a Rainbow and this this is one or two, depending on the day, uh, my favorite track on the album.
1: See, now if it had been Three Mules in a Rainbow, I guess that would have made Mark the Rainbow.
2: Right, you know? right. <laughs> but
1: yeah, I mean, you're never going to get an argument from me as, uh, as to how good this track is. I, and I don't think he actually plays it uh, uh, enough on his solo ventures. Like, I, I'm surprised at how little he cracks this one out.
2: When I remember before the world went crazy... He played a show and he played it, and it was little message boards were lighting up. You know, two mules and a rainbow. And I'm surprised he never sat in more
1: with Government Mule and did this. You know what I mean? Like, for guys that seem to be like, you know, have a a very nice friendship, uh, at least musically, they don't do as much together as uh, as you would think they would. Have
2: you ever heard them do uh, Cortez the Killer?
1: Yeah, it's on that. uh, (sighs) What's that little help of my friends? That live album, which was actually the first Government Mule record I ever owned. Man. That is some kind of good. That is good, but I also like they do 30 Days in the Hole, which I always liked Government Mule's arrangement of that, and that's got Mark on it, and uh, Mr. Big, which is a great uh, song by Free. Uh, yeah. I mean, So when they get together, like good things happen, so I'm surprised they didn't try to
2: make that happen more. You know? Are Government Mule the greatest cover band of all time?
1: Government Mule is the greatest cover band of all time, because not only do they know how to pick covers, uh, Warren Haynes' knows expertly what he can knock out of the park vocally. And he really, a lot of times, much like the Black Crowes, either puts an arrangement on it or does it in a way that uh, often makes it equal to, if not better, the original.
2: Well, I'll, I'll try to point people towards something. Go to YouTube and type in Warren Haynes, Marcus King, Purple Rain. You'll thank me later.
1: I, I, that, I'm going to be YouTubing that myself because I have never seen that.
2: Marcus King does most of the vocals on it. I mean, dude, it's sick.
1: Yeah, I mean, that sounds like to me. I mean, some people that might sound disjointed, but uh, to me, that sounds like a uh, recipe for a winner. But speaking of recipe for a winner, then the next track on this is a real winner, uh, and that is "Cry, Moan, and (laughs) Wail." asked me uh would you like uh blues songs played on acoustic guitars uh 100% of the time I'm going to say yes because if you can pull that off and do it right it's a beautiful thing um I always thought uh when I first listened to this record that this was 100% mark with just you know overdubbing like you know one basic track and then he overdubbed other stuff on it but then I realized that it's it's him and Craig Ross and looking at uh some notes I found you know about the recording of this it's uh Mark is on the right side of the mix, and Craig Ross is on the left, so you can actually definitively separate who's laying down what but everything on this is is just great. I think this is a great track.
2: I do too. Uh, it's got a I have here it's a nice little acoustic blues number. Uh, to me, it has kind of a campfire feel to it. If you're yeah. sitting around the campfire, people would sing it, and you know you've you know, you just got Mark and, and Craig Ross and do you think Craig I mean for the sake of a set of a steady paycheck, I'm sure Lenny Kravitz is the way to go. But do you think he has sold himself short as far as, like, he hasn't been able to have, like, a career of music on his own? Because whenever, like, he plays on anything, anybody else's stuff, it sticks out. Like, he's an amazing guitar player.
1: Oh, yeah, he's fantastic. And, yes, I 100% agree with that sentiment. You know, the early days, he's been with... Kravitz
2: since, I think, like, maybe the second album or something.
1: Yeah, he's been with them since Mama Said, which, yeah, that's the second, yeah, the one that came out in 91 Mm -hmm. with... uh, uh it ain't over till it's over and all that and uh but he's been with him since then and i think he was given a little more creative freedom on those earlier albums like uh that one and uh, are you gonna go my way he's all over that and you know and at circus too i think following that like because lenny went lenny went an odd way for me and i kind of uh he went solo for a while yeah which is fine and but like he just kind of he also was trying to appeal to a more pop audience and you know I understand you got to pay the bills, and maybe that's that's where his heart was. And if that's where his heart was, that's great. As long as you're playing music from a, a genuine place, fantastic. But I never thought. Like I always thought, Craig Ross never got the the limelight that he deserved because he's he's a great guitar player, and he has just as much in, influence on those early Kravitz records as Lenny himself does.
2: How do you think it would have been? accepted if in 05 it wasn't Ford and it was Craig Ross I think initially if if Mark Ford's
1: presence in that whole thing had never been a consideration like if at the last minute they switched from Mark Ford to Craig Ross that would have been bad but if if it was if Mark was never legitimately in the running I mean I, I think it would have been met with a couple of raised eyebrows at first but I think Craig Ross would have proved himself and been able to he would have been up for the task I do too I mean, especially knowing that you know he was friendly with Mark Ford and they were on the same musical page, you know what I mean? Right. But, I mean, absolutely never gets as much credit as he should and uh, I think is not utilized in present-day Lenny Kravitz stuff as much as he should be.
2: But the check clears. Yeah, and that, you know what, though?
1: I'm, I'm sure live, I've never seen Lenny Kravitz live, but I'm sure he runs the gamut set list-wise in terms of, like, he probably hits all his albums. And oh, stuff, Craig Rawls sure.
2: kills it live.
1: Yeah, I'm saying I'm sure like there's plenty to do live, but on record, like I don't think he's given as much to do as he should be. I agree. So that that brings us to another track though on the record. Again, I wanna I want your hit on this first because I'm inter- I'm very interested in what you think of this song because um, it's really going to come down to if we can stay friends or not. <laughs>
2: shining again we've got mark ford on bass we got ben harper on guitar and craig ross and we got gary loris should be a tremendous song uh this is the first song on the album just does nothing for me i feel like the lyrics are generic and i feel like going forward at this point on the album there's i think we need an editor at times and this is just a song i just have never enjoyed well i guess we can't be friends anymore david (laughs) it's over this is it no i'm
1: kidding of course but um I, I like this song. I don't think it's a, a necessarily you know a, a misstep or anything shining again, but it does go on a bit too long for me. It, it could have been a little more concise. I like everything that goes on on this. I really think it's a, a touching song in a lot of ways, but I don't that being said, I don't like it as much as I did when I originally heard the album. like going back to it now. I don't I don't enjoy it as much. Um, there is an interesting performance of this song, though. Um, if you uh, if you guys, since David already put you in a, a YouTube and mood, if you go on there and search it, it's actually a performance from I believe it was like an online exclusive thing um, on the Carson Daly program that used to be on late night TV. When Ben Harper must have been on the, sh- the main show, they had this other thing, which is like essentially Ben Harper's band. But they're playing this track, and you know Mark is singing it, and uh, that's a really nice performance of the song. If you like the song, you'll like that.
2: Do you remember Chris played Silver Car on that late night Carson Daly show? Yeah, and then the North Mississippi All Stars were the house band for an entire week.
1: No kidding, mm-hmm. Carson Daly. Uh, you know, as, as much um, like crap as he gets, because you know he was the host of uh, TRL on MTV. You know what I mean? Like a, a basically pop culture, uh, disposable music kind of showcase but uh, on that late night program he did some interesting things in terms of music like he uh, he put some things on there he tried to put some things over that were worthy of being put over
2: well and I I think Carson Daly like Craig Ross knew where the paycheck was coming from uh, on that Uh, actually I think I've read some things I think Carson Daly actually has pretty decent interest in music like I I've heard him say that like if his house caught on fire one of the albums he would have to get out of there is that first Jane's Addiction album you know which is which is great. Um, so I think I think he's a person that you know went for the paycheck. Which I can't you can't blame anybody for doing that.
1: No, I mean he's on the Today Show now. I don't know if you know that, but uh, I never
2: found him to be. Ian, this is a Good Morning America house.
1: Oh, excuse me. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm
2: sorry.
1: I don't watch any uh, morning uh, programs, but my parents do watch the Today Show. So anytime <laughs> are, you, I'm... are
2: you calling me old?
1: <laughs>
2: no, I mean they
1: they are the ones that watch the Today Show. So whenever I'm visiting them in uh, Florida. I see a bit of the Today Show, and that's how I found out he was on there. I never found him a particularly engaging broadcaster or anything like that. He's very, His delivery is very monotonous to me. like He's kind of stiff, but uh, he seems to know good music, and I can always appreciate that. Right. So I'm surprised he never tried to do something more with that, really. Can I take the next song? You're going to have to, because I think we're going to have uh, much the same – situation as we just had on the last track but the next song being of course elijah
2: my favorite song on the album and <laughs> i realize how some people could listen to it and think this is cheesy uh, i'm gonna go ahead and admit that it does have a, the chorus does have a little bit of kind of a 70s adult contemporary feel to it i acknowledge that but there's just something about mark ford and his wife singing about their son to me that's just very touching uh to me it's the it's it's a gem on this album the slide guitar intro has like a very mesmerizing quality to it and I mean, when I do like a Mark Ford playlist, this one's always on there. So I, I take it you hate it. I th- is this no, no. is this his Katie Deer in your eyes? <laughs> no, absolutely not. Actually, no.
1: I, I find this to be actually a very loving tribute from Mark and Kirsten to Elijah. And uh, listen, Elijah as an adult person is is a is a really nice guy. Any interactions I've had with him, uh, I've always been very gracious, and he's very kind, and he's a good artist in his own right and has put out some really great records and I think this is a very nice song again Kirsten Ford's vocals on it are really what set the tone of the track for me and really add a lot to it it just it's one of those things that just never can I never connected with for some reason like I I listen to it and I can recognize that it's a great track and and there's some very nice things musically going on it just doesn't
2: hit me doesn't hit me in the feels David you know what I mean it does me. I mean, maybe that makes me cheesy and not having good musical taste. But to me, there's something very authentic about this song. No, no, you're absolutely right, and I don't think it indicates those things because you
1: do have good musical taste, and it doesn't mean that I don't. It really has nothing to do with it being like cheesy or anything like that because I don't think it comes off as cheesy. Katie Deer comes that, off as cheesy. Yes, but done done right, a, a tribute song type of thing, or a song and it's sung to an actual person can be done properly it, you know it just uh, i don't know it's just it's just never hit me the right way all right so the 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 next track on the record is the, is a track called wake up and walk away I, I don't know about you. I This one kind of just kind of falls flat for me. It doesn't really, uh, this is one of the ones like you had mentioned earlier, probably if you were going to shorten up the track list, I'd, I'd probably trim this one out. You know, it's a fine song, but it's just kind of just doesn't really uh, hit me in any spectacular kind of way. What about you? Oh, it's one of
2: my favorite songs on the album. it could, I, You're I, messing I, with me. No, I'm dead serious. Um, it, it really is one of my favorite songs. I love the course uh, I think it has a cool groove to it. And I just love the line you'll find out just what a friend can be. Great melody on this song has a very 70s classic rock feel to it and still to me has kind of that Neil Young crazy horse vibe to it.
1: I could see that. That's true. I mean, admittedly, I do uh, I do like it much more than I did originally. I'm just I'm I'm all about making tough calls here, and if something's got to go, this would be one for me.
2: Oh, Shining again would be gone and Giving would be gone at this point. Yeah. I mean uh, and that would uh, that would bring us
1: down to what about uh, 13 tracks at this point so we still yeah. have there's still oh there's, there's plenty, still there, for, there's more room
2: to cut <laughs>
1: And if we're talking about a, a track that you would uh, send to the cutting room floor so to speak, I think the next one would be uh, another candidate on my list and that feels like doing time. <laughs> Nothing particularly. These songs aren't bad. The ones that I'm saying uh, I would uh, I would uh, remove from the album. They're just in order to to tighten this up and make it like a, a real classic. This would this is something to me that's getting in the way of of the album achieving that. I don't know. What do you think of this one?
2: I, I don't like it. It's kind of a country song. I'm just not a fan of it. I, this is one I would have have left off I, at this point. Like I feel like it kind of needed an editor and. I mean it's not terrible or anything it's just to me it doesn't fit with the album
1: yeah i mean and there's nothing wrong necessarily with a a countryish kind of vibe i mean when you go has some some definite twangy country influenced uh guitar right uh lines on it but uh yeah that's just um i don't know it just doesn't hit me now if you want to talk about a song that does hit me the next one uh is a winner in my book and that is california A, a real big standout for me, uh, again, funnily enough, Mr. Jimmy Ashurst and Mr. Craig Ross on this one. So I think Mark needs to get together with these guys a little bit more because all all the big hits on this one are uh, are with feature them in my book. So uh, this is kind of like uh, almost like a bizarre love letter to California from Mark, uh, in my opinion. I really like Mark's slide playing on this one. I mean, it's it's absolutely killer what he does in this, and it's uh it's got a real kind of again that dirty kind of guitar tone to it. And I I think this is another track that could have fit in with that Weary and Wired vibe. And Barry Oakley's backing vocals on this one are phenomenal. Really make the track it, what it is.
2: Well, you know, you can't be part of the Black Crows universe and put an album out and not sing about California, can you? So, No. <laughs> obviously, uh, he had to. Um, I like it. It's got a little bit of a boogie-woogie vibe to it. The slide playing on it's cool. To me, the lyrics... Could use a little work, but I would keep it on here. It serves its purpose. See, uh, yeah, I could,
1: I can understand what you're saying about lyrics because they're a little more frivolous, a little more kind of silly. But sometimes Mark comes out with these kind of what would seemingly be like uh, throwaway lyrics, but they actually – it's just something I like about them. Like there's a song, uh, Cool Heads on uh, Fuzz Machine. Ah, uh, there's a line in that song that's uh, "Go ahead and hide with your pork and beans," and it's like I don't even know what that means, but I just like that for some reason. He right. just has this this weird way of coming out with these these kind of almost nonsensical lyrical lines that, but they work for for me. And that's uh, I've always liked California, I, and I always will. Not I mean not necessarily the state, uh, but uh, the song. <laughs> but uh, so that brings us to. The penultimate track, second to last here, and that's uh, Darling, I've Been Dreaming."
0: Well, I'm searching for a diamond She says she can perch my weary soul Take me to heaven. Let me go Set my fortunes there for taking Oh she swears that I could fly Time moon Might as well try
1: What do you think of this one david
2: to me i i would have left this one off it's to me it's another cu- country type song on it and i i feel like at this point they're just putting stuff on here to have it to me it seems like it's just mad it's one of the ones i, w- I would cut off i it, it it hasn't it it never did anything for me originally and it didn't do anything for me when i re-listened to it
1: yeah i could totally appreciate that and yes this would be the the final one that if we were uh thinning the herd here this would be uh one of the ones to go I will say though that I did like this song much much more now than I remember you know liking it originally but you know years back on some albums I was a big uh, skipper I would skip over things and I've become much more wanting to like a cohesive album package as I've gotten a bit older so um, that's why I'm kind of saying some of these songs could go because then this would really be a uh, straight through top to bottom classic record
2: yeah, this one this one would definitely needs needs to go. I I agree with you on that.
1: Yes, not to uh, hurt Mister Ford's feelings
2: no. or anything like that. <laughs> hey, Mickey Mantle didn't always hit home runs. It's fine, man. Yeah, and,
1: you know, was that that uh, Wayne Campbell says in Wayne's World? Led Zeppelin didn't always write tunes people like. They left that to the Bee Gees, right? You know. Right. <laughs> but uh, so that brings us up to the uh, the closing track, and I, I as. In picking a song to close this record, I think they uh, hit a home run here, and that is Just Let It Go. is kind of like the the only epic type song on the album by virtue of the fact that it's uh you know it's somewhere in the nine ten minute mark and uh i never realized until very recently doing the research for this episode that this is also government mule with mark ford like i didn't i only thought two mules in a rainbow featured them on it and this is i think this track is is great this is uh it's got uh, some of Mark's most tasteful guitar work to date. And he, sh- he should have played this more at some of his uh, you know later day shows. It, really, it would have been a good set closer. I mean, this song just has closer material, whether it be album, set, anything, uh, show, uh, written all over it. And uh, this and Two Mules in a Rainbow, you know, as I mentioned before, really make me wish for a full-on Mark Ford Government Mule collaboration especially, you know, back at the, at the time, you know, um, I would still love to see them do something together. I thought you might have gotten something a little more when Magpie toured with Government Mule that that the summer of 18. You know, they did a few things. They did a few Pink Floyd covers, I think, because it was the, the dark side mm. of the Mule, you know, tour and everything. But uh, I would have liked to have seen a lot more, at least just involving Mark Ford. Uh, what do you think of this track?
2: mean the, the playing on it is stellar uh the extended guitar solos i mean it's everything you want from mark ford and i think this is really what a lot of people um were expecting and like i said it's the first really long song on the album i think the lyrics could use a little work to be honest with you but the 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 playing on it is great and i agree with you like they should go out you know just as basically having mark ford as the second guitarist and then you know, let him do a song or two a night singing from his stuff. But I, I think a, a whole show of Warren Haynes and Mark Ford, man, that would, I'd, I'd drive a long way to see that. I mean, hey, man, I'm in New York and I traveled to New
1: Orleans to see New Earth Mud and Government Mule together because I thought that that would be a fantastic thing. Uh, if it was Mark Ford, I'd, I'd go to as far as Antarctica to see that happen. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So, I, you know, I should mention, that lyrically, um, although some of some spots of it could be a little more polished lyrically. There's a great part and Mark has a real penchant for writing bridge parts. Like, uh, you know, he knows how to add that little third part into it that really go no f- Go no further than Sunday Sound. Exactly. I mean, he was brought in specifically to write that on Sunday Sound. That was his contribution to that. And um, But on this, there's a part where it's kind of like a little breakdown and it's got like a nice... High harmony, background vocal to it, but the the lyric to this part always kind of uh, touched me in a way because it, it, it kind of it remarks on like the monotonous and like it, it just it, it conveys like a feeling in it in such a simple way. But it's uh, crying won't help you lessen the heartache. Trying too hard to patch up the hole, keeping busy dusting your keepsakes. Just let it go. Like I just I, I think I always thought that was fantastic lyrically because that really. Is like somebody you can. Ju- I just always pictured somebody that's that's having a hard time and really dwelling on something, and it's he's kind of telling you you just gotta just gotta release it. You know, I, I always thought that worked lyrically in the song. I said it was a big that's a big moment in the song for me.
2: Yeah, I agree with you. But the, to me, the the standout thing about this though, is that extended jam. Oh yeah, of course, Mark and Hole. I mean,
1: and I wonder how much of that was planned out and how much of it maybe was just. They jammed it out and said, Let's see where it goes. And maybe that's why it's the one song on the album that has a bit of length to it. Right. You know, and I, I think it's great because it sounds very spontaneous to me. It doesn't sound like something that was labored over for a no, long. No, it doesn't. It doesn't at all. I mean, so that's the record. You know, really, um, you trim a couple of songs off it, and it's a real solid record. Probably, you know, uh, in hindsight, one of Mark's most solid solo records and uh, definitely a showcase for his songwriting. I'm definitely going to spend a lot more time. Uh, listening to this one than I have maybe in the in the recent past and uh, you know hopefully one day I believe this is the only uh, Mark Ford solo record that hasn't seen a vinyl reissue in some way it'd be nice to see that one day
2: it would it would uh, be one to to help complete the the collection here so I got to ask you if you're going to give it a star rating what do you give it out of five I'd put this at a solid four to
1: be honest with you as is I know I'm a big fan of Mark Ford But uh, you you trim out the songs I uh, I was talking about, or even what you were talking about, and you get this thing down to about ten tracks. I think you could have a five star record on your hands.
2: I give it three and a half, and I I think you take a few songs out, and it's easily a four. You're
1: a little less gracious than me, which (laughs) is probably, you know, sometimes I get a little too idealistic, David. You know. Well, that's why we love you, Ian. I know, but uh, the uh, I got to have you to rein me in.
2: That's true.
1: Sometimes, you know. But uh, so, you know, definitely a great record. And uh, if, if, if some of you folks out there aren't really too familiar with it or haven't listened to it at all, uh, hopefully this, uh, us talking about it a bit will draw you back to it or draw you into it for the first time. And, uh, you know, we'd be interested to uh, hear some of your thoughts on these things. This is the first Mark Ford solo record we've addressed in the under review format. So, you know, if you guys want to drop us an email or uh, get us on social media with a message or. Uh, comments on the post when the episode is out we'd actually be very interested in, to hear your thoughts on this
2: Ian what are you going to pick for us to play out with since it seems to be
1: one of the songs that uh, we mutually enjoyed we're going to find us a nice version of two mules in a rainbow to play us out so uh, we're going to get that on and we thank everybody for listening as always and uh, we'll see you next time stay tuned
3: Where all the time we go. This is a story to the and a rainbow. Well, it could have been fruitful, and it could have been sweet. Something so good, someone's always gotta get beat. Turns all slow This is the story